2 Chronicles 17. Encourage you to read uh, the rest of Revelation chapter 4 for this Sunday. We looked at the first three verses last Sunday. We'll be in verses 4 through 11 through the end of the chapter this coming Sunday. So I encourage you to read ahead. So by the way of quick review, fairly quick review, um, Chronicles, the, both of the Chronicle books that really were one book in the beginning were written to the children of Israel who'd been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years and they're now returning to Israel, returning to Jerusalem. And so most of those who were in Babylonian captivity, many of them anyway, had never lived in Israel because they were taken captive and they'd been in Israel for 70 years. So those that are coming back are given a history lesson of what God has done in Jerusalem, what God has done in Israel, and what God's plans are for Israel going forward. In 1 Chronicles, we saw the life of King David. That was the main focus. And then now in 2 Chronicles, it began with the life of King Solomon, and it's followed from there. And what we have seen in looking at both Judah and Israel through the kings that reigned in them, every king that reigned in Israel prior to them being taken into Babylonian captivity that are recorded in the kings or, or here in the Chronicles were all, were all evil, all of them. They all failed God. They were all caught up in idolatry. They all had taken their eyes off of the Lord. In the southern kingdom of Judah, so Israel was a 10 northern kingdoms, the two southern kingdoms were Judah, that's Benjamin and Judah, those two tribes. And there were eight good kings, kings that actually honored the Lord, kings that actually served the Lord. And so we saw one of those good kings the last three weeks. Now he didn't finish so well, but his name was King Asa. So he was one of the eight kings at Judah that faithfully followed the Lord. And, and again, unlike the zero kings in, in, uh, in Israel... And last week we saw that Asa stumbled greatly at the end of his life. If you'll remember, in the beginning, Asa was outnumbered. His army was 300, a little over 300,000, and they were facing an Ethiopian army of a million. But he put his faith in the Lord, and God gave him the victory. But we noticed that after that, there was 35 years of peace. And what we saw last week was that after 35 years of peace and after 35 years of great wealth, Asa was no longer desperate for God. And so when Israel began to blockade, put up a blockade to keep people from coming down to Jerusalem and keeping them from you know, being, having goods delivered, he went out to fight against them. But instead of crying out to God, he hired Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, to bring his army to fight against Israel. So instead of turning to the Lord, he turned to a pagan king. And that's a picture for us that we should be turning to the Lord and not to the world for answers and for help. Amen? So he turns to the world. He turns to this pagan king. God allows them to have a victory. But then the Lord tells him through Hananiah, uh, Hananiah, the seer or the prophet who comes to him and says to him, you know what? If you had just turned to the Lord, you would have not had Ben-Hadad fighting with you. You would, have had, you would have captured him yourself. See, he missed out on God's highest by turning to the world. And that's exactly the same thing that happens to us. So Asa failed in the end. Now, I believe Asa's in heaven. 
And I'm thankful, though, that the Word of God never hides the frailties of its heroes. When you look in Scripture, you'll see that men like David, a man after God's own heart, was an adulterer and a murderer. We see people that were used mightily by the Lord, but their flaws are not hidden. And here's why God allows us to see the flaws in his people, because they are teachable lessons for each and every one of us. Amen? Take heed lest ye fall. If King David, a man after God's own heart, can fail. If John the Baptist, Jesus said, of men born among women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist was in prison, what did he say? Is he really the Messiah? What in the world? Are you kidding me? But here's the point. We see those frailties, but you know what? I guarantee you, all of us have seen the frailties in our own lives. Amen? And we all know that we have fallen short of God's highest. So as we pick up tonight, Asa has has died, and his son has taken over. We're going to look a lot at Jehoshaphat. Did you know that was really a name in the Bible? When you think of Jehoshaphat, all I can think of is jumping Jehoshaphat, right? Anybody ever heard that term before besides me? I don't see him jumping anywhere in the Bible, so I don't know where that came from. But Jehoshaphat, we're going to look at him. He's Asa's son, and he is going to be a good and a godly king. And we're going to see how Jehoshaphat's faithfulness strikes fear into the hearts of his enemies, And I want you to know there's a clear application for us. And so I tell the message, living a life that strikes fear into the heart of the enemy. And what are the enemies that we face every day? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Amen? Amen. And do you know that the devil hates it when you read your Bible? He hates it when you pray. He really hates it when you pray. He hates it when you share your faith. But so too does your flesh. I mean, we need to put our flesh to death. It's when we spend time in the word and we walk in the spirit that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And it's also true, as we know in the world today, when you make a stand for the Lord, the world doesn't like it and they want to silence you. So let's look at the five points we're going to look at in tonight's text and living a life that strikes fear into the heart of the enemy. Number one, by walking in obedience to the word of God, not the ways of the world. The real battle that we fight as Christians is not a physical battle, but a spiritual one. And as again, as I just quoted, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So how do we strike fear in the heart of the enemy? We obey the word of God and don't listen to the world. And you know what I think, you know how we do that? We spend less time listening to the things of the world, being entertained by the things of the world, and more time in the Word of God. Amen? Now let's be honest. How many of you have times where it's just hard for you to even pick up your Bible to read it? Or you get distracted by something and you just don't pick it up? Amen? And the enemy will do everything he can to have you be entertained by anything else but opening the Word of God. But our real strength comes from, by, by the way, we can't obey it if we don't read it. Amen. Amen. And, and our faith grows when we read it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by Amen. word of God. And so if you want to have greater faith, spend more time in the word of God and not in the ways of the world. Number two, by faithfully seeking and serving the Lord. As believers, serving God is a get to and not a have to. Amen. 
And we're going to see a picture of what a calling looks like in the heart of someone in tonight's chapter. Guys, when we're truly called by God, nobody else has to prop us up. Nobody else has to sustain us. If God calls you, God will sustain you. And when you're called by God, you'll be faithful to his calling. I was really blessed. So I, we have a, there's a Facebook. Most of you guys know I've been with the same company for 35 years. I got two weeks left. Two weeks from today is my last day after 35 years. But uh, they have a Facebook page for people that have worked for my company in the past. And I put on there just sharing my heart that I was going to be leaving the company. And I put a picture of the day I started, which is comedy, by the way, and a picture of that old dude that he became somehow. But you know what really blessed me the most? And I'm humbled by it. I don't want to, this, please, I, pl- I pray you don't take this as any way, but from a heart of humility. Had a, about 110 comments and almost all of them mentioned my faith in the Lord. And I'm thankful that I've represented the Lord at my workplace. I'm thankful. And many of them said, you know, Dave, you're just the nicest guy ever. You helped everybody. You were so kind and loving. And we know that's because you love the Lord so much. And you know what? My prayer is that that would always continue in all of our hearts. And let me, let me tell you, I've failed plenty of times. Okay, guys, there's areas where I have failed miserably. And one of the people that wrote the longest text was my, my Muslim boss, who I prayed for for 15 years, Jehan Jehansus, who mocked my faith. And eventually, by the grace of God, I led her to the Lord and she drove all the way down here to Malibu so we could baptize her in the ocean. And now she's on fire for Jesus. And the point is this, that that wherever we go, we are called to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. Amen? That people need to see us faithfully seeking and serving the Lord. And when we serve the Lord, we will serve our boss at work. When we serve the Lord, we will serve our spouse. When we serve the Lord, we will serve our neighbors. Amen? So we want to be faithful servants to the Lord, faithful servants in the workplace, and be salt and light to a world that so desperately needs Him. So living a life that strikes fear in the heart of the enemy by faithfully seeking and serving the Lord. Number, number three, by teaching the whole counsel of God. How many of us are called to teach the Bible in, in some way? What's the answer? All of us. You got children? If you got children, God's called you to be the primary person that teaches them the word. Church should be gravy for what they get at home throughout the week. Amen. And too often what happens, Christian fathers especially, we can fall into the trap of saying, well, we'll leave that to the Sunday school teachers and praise God for Sunday school teachers. Amen? Mrs. Green's class in 1968, First Baptist Church in Wilmington, that's where I got saved. Okay? And praise God for that. But the point is we're all called to be teachers of the word whether we teach it in front of a church or in a, in a big Bible study, but we all should be able to teach the word to people that we witness to. We should all be able to teach the word if we're a husband to our spouse, but for a husband or a father to our children. And God has called all of us to know the word well enough to be able to teach it and proclaim it to the world. One of the greatest problems in the, in the church today is biblical illiteracy. We don't know what the word of God says. I'm amazed when you ask a Christian. So there's this guy, and I told, I've already mentioned this once before. He walks through Walmart, and he'll have like a $50 bill, and he'll walk up to people and say, I'll give you $50 if you can tell me one Bible verse. And he'll walk up to 40 people, and nobody can do it. Now, what does that tell you about our country? Amen? 
But you know what's sadder still? Someone will go, you know, I go to church every week, but I can't think of a verse right now. You know what that means? You're not reading your Bible. You could ask those same people to, to give, give them the lyrics of the top song on the radio right now, and they could all do it. But when it comes to the Word of God, there's biblical literacy, not only in our country, but a lot of it is in the church. And that's why, what do we focus on when we're here? Studying the whole counsel of God. Amen? The way we make strike fear into the heart of the enemy is by teaching the whole counsel of God, by teaching the Word of God. Number four, know that the Word of God strengthens us. The Word of God strengthens us. It's, sh- it's a sharp sword, offensive weapon against the enemy. It's one of the tools that keep us from sin. It's been said that sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. Let me say this too. I was, t- I was counseling somebody this week. And here's what I said. They were talking about. What's not, guys, when you read the Bible, you're not reading some self-help book from Barnes and Nobles. Amen? You're not opening something that was written by men. You are opening the living, breathing word of God. And when you read it, it reads your heart and God is speaking to you through his word. This is a love letter from the creator of the universe. This is not just some book you go and check to to get some information. You're opening it up and spending time in the presence of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who speaks into your heart and into your life. And the enemy wants you to keep this book shut. Amen. And when we open it and we read it, it strikes fear into the heart of the enemy. And it gives us the strength that we need to say no to sin. Because when you spend time with the Lord, you're going to be grieved by your sin. You're going to fall more to know him better is to love him more. Amen. And the way we know him better is to spend time in his word. And then finally, Lord, help us to be men and women of valor. I love that word valor. I'm going to give you the definition of it when we get to it at the end of the text. But I love the word because we need men and women of valor. We need people who are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. People who will stand for the things of God and are unashamed of him. People that don't run away when the battle gets tough. Men of valor don't run. They don't hide. They don't quit. Amen. They're faithful. And may we be faithful in our walk with the Lord. So let's begin there in verse one of second Chronicles 17, looking at living a life that strikes fear in the heart of the enemy by walking in obedience to the word of God, not the ways of the world. So then it says there in verse one, then Jehoshaphat, his son, whose son? Asa's son. His son reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. So concerned about safety of his people, Jehoshaphat strengthens himself. But what's crazy is against Israel. And we can read these verses But what's crazy is that Israel and Judah are the chosen people of God. They were the ones that God delivered out of bondage in Egypt. The ones that all traveled together through the the wilderness and manna fell from the sky. The ones that came into the land of promise together and fight and defeated the enemies in the land. They should have defeated them all, only defeated some. But they went in together. But here's what happened. Israel, the 10 northern nations... Caught more caught up in idolatry than, this, than Judah did, and God brought righteous judgment upon them. And then we saw just repeated evil king after evil king after evil king. And so here they are, children of Israel and the children of Judah, they're all Israel, but they're the ones that are fighting with each other. And so he has to prepare himself to be ready for the attack from his own people, his, their cousins, if you will. 
Again, they were walking in idolatry and open rebellion against God. And even though they were called by God, they were enemies of God. And you know what? The same could be said for many people today, right? God's got a call on people's lives, but they've rejected him. Now, we know that God was not done with Israel, and times of restoration would come. We're going to see Israel back walking with the Lord. We're going to see some struggles as well. But at the time Israel was in rebellion, even though they're still God's chosen people, and that's much like Israel today. Is Israel God's chosen people? What's the answer? The answer is yes. Clearly. Are they walking with God today? What's the answer? No. Now, there are Jewish people that love Jesus. And again, I always make this clear. We love Israel and we love the Jewish people because God loves Israel and God loves the Jewish people. Amen? And with those who bless Israel, God will bless them. And this is a Jewish book written by Jewish, largely Jewish men about a Jewish Savior. Amen? And so we're pro-Israel, but we have to say this at the same time, they have blinders over their eyes. They've missed the Messiah. For those of you who don't know, before we met here, we used to meet in a synagogue in Calabasas. And I used to have lunch with the rabbi all the time. And I would ask him questions and I would just walk out with my head ready to explode. I'd say to him, what happens to you when you die? Oh, you know, we just think this is the life and we're, we're just going to go on the ground and be dirt. I said, what, what Old Testament book are you reading, bro? I mean, come on. And I'd be taking the Old Testament. Look at Psalm 22, Isaiah 50. I'm taking him through all that. Are you kidding me? And then I'd say, what do you, but? and he said, we have some people believe in reincarnation. And we have some people that believe in, you know, I, I'm a, oh, yeah. and here's the problem. Biblical illiteracy. Amen. And blinders over their eyes, and it's become nothing but culture. But here's the reality. While we can pick on synagogues, there's a lot of churches in our country today that are no better. We're just a religious country club where people gather together, where they talk more about politics than they do our Savior. Amen? Whether it's more about the potluck than spending time in the Word of God. More about feeding your gut than feeding your spirit by opening the Word of God. And we have a lot of that. And the problem is we need to stand firm in the Word of God. And here, Jehoshaphat has to strengthen himself against his family, if you will, the nation of Israel. And again, we saw the problem that they had even with his own father. And again, how they had to go to war against him and God gave them victory. Verse two, and it says, and he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Esau, his father had taken. So Asa had had battles and he had taken some of the surrounding nations around him. God had given him victory over the Ethiopians, but we also know that in the end, he was a man that trusted Ben-Hadad instead of trusting in the Lord. But notice that a good king is faithful to protect his people from their enemies. That's what a good king does. Amen? A good king is going to protect his people from their enemies. And guess what? We serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is protecting us from the ultimate enemy. Can I get an amen to that? He is greater as he that is in us than he that is in the world. And a godly king does not place his hope in physical strength or armies alone, but he knows ultimately the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You know, a great army, there's nothing wrong with a great army, but the ultimate protection comes from a great God. 
A great, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? You plus God is a majority. You know, one godly man will chase a thousand, the Bible says, and they'll run away. God can use a shepherd boy, 13-year-old shepherd boy with a rock, finding an 11-foot, 750-pound warrior and take him out because God is on the side of David. Amen? And the same is true for us. But he knows ultimately, he prepares for the battle, but he knows ultimately that I'm going to prepare for the battle, but I know it belongs to the Lord. And we too should be prepared for the battle, but know that our strength comes from the Lord. Guys, we can study apologetics all we want, and we should. But when we study apologetics, a way to share our faith with others or defend our faith, guys, it's not enough to study the words that we need to know and understand. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we need to be prayed up to enter into that battle. Amen? Because it is a spiritual battle that we face. It is good to be prepared physically. We shouldn't be lazy and irresponsible, but it's more important to be prepared spiritually. One of the ways that we see the preparation to go into the battle, this is in Ephesians 6, and it talks about, as you are familiar with, the uh, armor of God, right? Putting on the whole armor of God. And the armor of God includes the belt of truth. Guys, do you know we have the truth? And it's not my truth. It's the truth. Can I get an amen to that? It's not my truth or her truth or his truth. It's the truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. Not only the truth, the belt of truth, but the breastplate of righteousness. Do you know you're righteous? Now, I'm not saying that you're sinless, because that's not going to happen till we get to heaven. Amen? But we are righteous. Now, we're not righteous because we're good. We're righteous because he's good. Amen? We're righteous because we've been made righteous through the shed blood of our Savior. But the breastplate of righteousness, also the shield of faith. The Bible talks about the fiery darts of the enemy. The enemy will try to make you depressed, discouraged, uh, condemned. He will attack you at every turn and try to rob you of your joy. And you know what defends you against the condemnation of the enemy? It's the shield of faith. Amen? And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The helmet of salvation, right? The fact that we've been saved. You know, one of the things I love to do when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is I cry out to God and I ask him to bless my day and to guide my steps. I pray for divine appointments and opportunities to share the hope that lies within me. But very often, I'm literally, I will look in the mirror sometimes and I will say, thank you, Lord, for saving a man like me. I am so blessed. Amen. And I pray it often in my prayer life. Lord, thank you for saving me. We must never take that for granted. The best thing that ever happened to you is you got saved. Amen? You're born again. You're a new creation in Christ. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. He knows you best. He loves you most. And praise God that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? And guys, the helmet of salvation, but also the sword of the Spirit. Again, we know that that's the Word of God. And the, the Word of God is the only offensive weapon that we have right? How do we defeat the the enemy with the word of God? How do we stand against the fire, you know, again, the word of God? And then we also talks about the gospel of peace. So while preparing for a physical battle is wise, putting on the whole armor and preparing for the spiritual battle is essential. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can have victory over the three enemies we face every day, the world the flesh, and the devil. Amen? 
So when we're tempted by God, not by God, excuse me, by the enemy, God makes a way of escape. Amen? Resist the devil, and he does what? He flees from you. So when we're tempted, it's an opportunity to fail, but it's also an opportunity to grow. And when we say, when we say no to temptation, we grow spiritually. Amen? When we say yes to it, because we're walking in our own strength, we fail. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Verse 3. And what it says here. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David, and he did not seek the Baals. Notice what it says, that God was with, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because he walked in faithful and obedient ways of King David. Because he was a man who feared God, a man who loved God, a man who walked in the word of God and obedience to it, God was with him. Do you want God to be with you on a daily basis? Do you want to have intimate fellowship with the Lord? Open it, read it, and obey it. Amen? Hardest time is opening it sometimes. But open it, read it, and obey it. You want to walk in intimate fellowship with God? You want to grow in your faith? You want to have an eternal perspective? You want to be able to have triumph over temptation when it comes? Here's the recipe. Again, it's not just reading some book on 10 steps to being a better person. It's not that. It's opening up and having intimate fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords every time you read it. This is the only book on the planet that is living and breathing. Amen? And it truly speaks to our hearts. Notice it says there, the former ways. The word there is the first ways. You know, when David was young... You know, he, would, he was out worshiping the Lord before anybody ever noticed him. He would sit out, watch the sheep, and play, play worship songs and sing to the Lord. He was of so little account to his own father that he didn't even bring David in when Samuel came to anoint the, first king over, the next king over Israel. He left David out with the sheep because he thought he was such a runt. And at the same time, man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Amen. And David had a heart for God. And he says, Jehoshaphat, paraphrase, I'm blessing you because you have the heart, the first heart, the, way, the heart that David had early on. You have that same heart. And again, David was still a man for God's own heart, but God did not hide his frailties either. Reminds me of Revelation when he talks about your first ways, or in a way you could say it's first love. We, re- we looked at this a few weeks back in Revelation 2. Nevertheless, I have something against thee because you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove the candlestick uh, uh, from its place unless you repent. So here's what happens is that, that that was a church that had left its first love and God had exhorted them, uh, the church in Ephesus. And it seems Jehoshaphat had seen the things his father Asa had been doing. And when Asa was gone, Asa takes the nation back, back to the ways of the Lord even more so. And that should be my, my, you know, my prayer is that all my kids love God more than I do. Amen? I want to see my, and every, every one of us should want to have a closer walk with the Lord than the generation before us. And my prayer is that they would love God more than I do. And certainly that's Jehoshaphat at this point. God's blessing him because he's made God the priority. God's the passion. 
He loves the Lord. He's walking with the Lord. He's obeying the Lord. You know, David was a man whose life was happy up to a certain point. And then we saw that while God forgave him for his sin, his sin had consequences. The death of his child. We saw that, you know, some of the things were taken. He wasn't able to build a temple. That was because he was a man of war. But still, God, you know, he missed out on some of God's highest. And God is gracious and faithful and just to forgive us when we ask for forgiveness. But please know that our sin doesn't go without consequences. Because those consequences can still remain. And my prayer is that, you know, the enemy will tell you, go ahead and sin, God will forgive you. And the truth is, if you're born again, he will. If you ask for him to forgive you, he will. But the consequences will remain. Well, looking at the life of Jehoshaphat, he's walking in the former ways, and he's, but he does not seek the Baals. The Baal, Baal was a false god. Uh, Baal, if, if you know the word at all, uh, Baal is the one that... Uh, you know, that Elijah, that he went with the prophets of Baal. By the way, if you go to Israel, we're going we're to be on Mount Carmel, right where they called fire down from the sky and where, the battle, where, the, where that battle took place. And the prophets of Baal wounded themselves and cried out to their false god. And they were going to prove that their god was God by bringing fire down from heaven. And he was a god that part of his, who he was, was related to fire. And then, you know, they wounded themselves. And then, I love the Bible has sense of humor. I don't know if you know this. Because Elijah comes in and says, maybe your God's out hunting. Maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself. It's in the Bible. You've got to read it, okay? But basically, what he's saying is your God doesn't exist. And then God brings fire down from heaven and, and and not only just takes up the sacrifice, but just licks up all the water and burns the entire thing to a crisp. And then the prophets of Baal were all put to death. So here's what he's saying is that Jehoshaphat is not only serving God, he's having nothing to do with the false idols of this world. Now, there are some of us at times in our lives and some believers who think you can worship God and the Baals at the same time where we got one foot in the kingdom and our other foot in the world. And I've had people say to me, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I'm, I leave my faith at the door when I get to work. I had a guy challenge me on that. Well, you can't bring your Christianity in here. I said, do you think the Holy Spirit leaves when I get to work? Holy Spirit, when we, get, when we show up at work, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. Can I get an amen to that? We don't, we don't check our faith at the door. We don't, we're not Christians on Sunday and Thursday night. You know, guys, we walk with Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Aren't you glad he doesn't leave you when you leave here? And so the, he's walking with the Lord, but he's also rejecting the false gods. Because sometimes we saw it a lot with some of these kings where they would try to serve God and the false gods of this world at the same time. Solomon. He got married, all these women, and they brought their false gods with them, and he was trying to serve the true. He built the temple, but then he was building stuff to the false gods at the same time. Guys, it's not enough just to pursue God. We need to forsake the world at the same time, amen? We need to resist all the false gods of this world that the enemy will try to draw us away with. And that's the kind of man, at least at this point, that Jehoshaphat is. Our destiny is, and, and, uh, as individuals and as a nation, can either be like Judah or like Israel. One of faithful obedience and repentance when we sin, or one of open rebellion. 
living a life led by our fleshly desires and feelings and direct disobedience to the word of God, worshiping the false gods of this world of pleasure and fame and fortune and self. But that's not what Jehoshaphat did. He put his whole heart and his whole focus and his whole passion on being a good king, being prepared for war, but being a man fully submitted to the Lord. And that's the kind of man that God will use. Look what it says in verse 4. But sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. So Jehoshaphat was faithful to God while living in a world filled with idolatry and open rebellion against God. Now, don't you feel a little better about the fact that we live here? Amen? Because we live in a world that is an open rebellion against God. It could be said that the United States is further away from the Lord than we've ever been. And I think you could win that argument without much of a fight. Amen? Now, I'm not saying there haven't been times when, you know, there's been, you know, a lot of walking away from the Lord, but you know, there's nothing like now. His name is used more as a curse word in this nation than it is as a a, a word used in prayer or in worship. Amen? His name is mocked. Uh, He created the heavens and the earth. That's mocked with... Uh, evolution. He made us male and female. That's being mocked by all the gender nonsense we hear today. He, he created marriage between male and female. That's been mocked by the redefining of marriage. I mean, there, he is the true and living God. That's being mocked because he's been uh, kicked out of every school and everywhere in the public square that's possible. And guys, we cannot say God bless America if America doesn't want to bless God. Amen. He doesn't, we don't deserve to be blessed if we're dishonoring the Lord. And so praise God for Jehoshaphat because he knew that even though the world around him, even though the children of Israel, the, those he's related to, the children of God, they're walking in open idolatry and he's not going to be like the world. He was standing for the things of the Lord, at least here at this point. So we can either be like Judah or we can be like Israel and we can stand with him. Again, he walked not according to the acts of Israel. He followed the commandment of the Lord, not the ways of the world. He was in the world, but not of the world. You've heard me say this many times. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. The the boat is in the water, but we don't need water in the boat. Amen? We minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. So point number one there, living a life that strikes fear to the heart of the enemy by walking in obedience to the word of God, and not in the ways of the world. So Lord, help all of us. Again, we're saved by grace, not of works as any man should boast. Amen. And works don't save us, but works are fruit that we've been saved. Amen. Good works don't save you, but, but believers do good works. Point number two, by faithfully seeking and serving the Lord. Look at verse five. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. So he established the kingdom in his hand. The word established there is to set up, accomplish, make firm, to fix, make ready, prepare, and provide, to furnish. I love this picture that he established, he set it firm that that kingdom would belong to him. And I believe when God calls us to something, that he sets it firm. He puts it in a place where we can step out in faith and be used by the Lord. 
Again, this is no small accomplishment. In those days, kings and kingdoms were fragile and under constant threat. Yet if the descendants of David would seek the Lord first, he promised to take care of their security. And again, that same promise is for his people today. There's a lesson learned here. There's strength in seeking the Lord. Our strength comes from clinging to the Lord. And if we seek God and seek him first, he'll take care of the rest. One of my hundreds of favorite verses is, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Guys, you want your life to be fruitful? Seek first the kingdom of God. If you want your life to, to have joy and peace in the midst of the storm, seek first the kingdom of God. You want your marriage to be honoring unto God, you and your wife together, Seek first the kingdom of God. Guys, when God is the priority, when God is the passion of your life, the rest of the stuff will take care of itself. Amen? Seek him first. And again, this was something that Jehoshaphat was doing. St. Augustine said this, God is more anxious to pour out his blessings than we are to receive them. Notice as he obeys God. Now look, this gets destroyed and that's why I, I try not to, I don't want to steer completely clear because the Bible teaches it. But we see it as one of the most abused things in Scripture, amen? Where it's, if you give, then God will give you. And you can't outgive God. And while those things are true, people use that to manipulate and get money out of people, amen? And you have false teachers everywhere that are flying around in their own jets, preaching a false gospel, and they're tools of the devil, amen? So it's hard, but here's what happens is, because there's so much abuse of it, sometimes we'll go in the other direction and just not even talk about it. But here's the reality. Why is God blessing Jehoshaphat? Because Jehoshaphat is faithfully following God. Amen? Notice it says that it's, they're bringing presents, they're bringing things to him. And again, I want to say this too. The blessings of God, I would say most of the time, have nothing to do with money. Amen? The real blessing is intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. The real blessing is being gifted by God and being allowed to serve him for his kingdom and for his glory, right? And, and again, one of my customers, I can't say who because it's, uh, it's not a word's not out, but one of my clients who a, 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 was in prison and got saved in prison, and 20 years later, he's taken this business that he bought, this small business, and grown it into this massive business that's very successful. Somebody just came in and offered him $12 million for his business. And he called me on the phone, and he was in tears. He said, if I take this money, am I dishonoring God? Because his, he was so concerned that, that all that money, I said, well, only if that money takes your eyes off of God. Amen. And I said, you know what? I know you, brother. You're one of the most generous people I've ever met. And as Pastor Rob McCoy says, if he can get it to you, he'll get it through you. Amen? You know, sometimes when God blesses us with a lot, it's not so we can be comfortable, but we can comfort others. Amen? So Jehoshaphat's going to be blessed. And part of that blessing came because he was being obedient to the Lord. But guys, we don't obey God so he'll give us stuff. We obey God because he gave us everything. He gave us life and life more abundant. Amen? He's given a citizenship in heaven. He's stamped eternity on our hearts and praise God for that. So all, Judah, all of Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor and abundance because Jehoshaphat trusted God and walked obedient. So God lifted him up and exalted him as king. Verse six, and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. 
And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. His heart delighted in the ways of the Lord. See, here's how I know when, we, when, we're, when we're maturing in our faith. When we're maturing in our faith, when we read something in the word that convicts us of something we're doing, we recognize it, that God is blessing us and showing us how to walk closer to him. Instead of looking at the word of God like it's keeping us from something fun. Amen? It's a joy to obey God. When my boys were growing up, all, all four of my kids, my daughter too, I would always teach them to do the right thing. And I would say a clear conscience is a soft pillow, right? If you're doing the right thing, you have nothing to be afraid of. And guys, as we walk in faithful obedience to the Lord, we sleep well, amen? When we're walking with the Lord and we have intimate fellowship with him and we're obeying the Lord, then we don't fear, I mean, again, the things of the world. We just don't. And we, we don't have anything to be afraid of. Twice in my life, I've been the back of an ambulance. And one of them was about a month ago when I thought I might be going to heaven, and, and both times, I was so blessed that I know Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? I'm in the back of the ambulance going, okay, well, Revelation 1, I just saw what he looks like, so let's bring it. I'm ready, amen? Take care of my wife. I know you got her, Lord, amen? But the point is, when you know the Lord, there's peace. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. You can't threaten us with heaven. We don't have to walk around afraid, Amen? God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. God's blessing Jehoshaphat because he's being faithful to the word of God. He's walking with the Lord, and we'll see he's going to be promoting it to his people as well. How do you look at the ways of the Lord and the word of God? Rigid rules that are forced upon you because so you, you want to inherit heaven. I would witness to my coworkers, and that's one thing I'm going to miss. Pray for me because I have 220 accounts I see these guys all multiple times a year, and I share Jesus with them every time I see them. And they all call me Pastor Dave, and I'm going to miss those guys. They all got my cell. I'm still going to reach out to them. But I love being able to point them to the Lord. And sometimes I will witness to somebody. I remember one guy said, so wait a minute. So if I give my life to the Lord, do I have to give up getting drunk? I'm like, bro, if you give your life to the Lord, you'll want to give up getting drunk. Amen? I had another guy ask me, so if I get saved, do I have to quit looking at porn and going to strip clubs? I go, bro, really? How's that working out for you, man? Been divorced three times. Gee, I wonder why. And you know, the reality is that the way of the transgressor is hard. See, God's not keeping us from fun. He's keeping us from harm. Amen? And see, when we walk, we delight in the Lord because we know what he's showing us is what is best for us. It's a get-to to follow God, not a have-to, amen? We get to follow the Lord. We get to walk in his ways. It's a love letter from our Savior to direct your path. Jeho Jehoshaphat had a personal delight in following the Lord. And true obedience is seen not in our actions only, but also the attitude behind them. Guys, it's not enough to obey God. We need to obey God from a, a joyful heart. The analogy I would always use is, it's like when you tell your kid to go, you know, clean up his room and he goes up the stairs stomping all the way and he's throwing his stuff in the cloth. Now, again, is he obeying what you asked him to do? But is he doing it with the right heart? And guys, when we obey God, it shouldn't be, okay, Lord, I guess you're going to make me quit doing this. That's not the heart. 
behind obeying God. Amen? We obey the Lord because He loves me. He knows what's best for me, and I, want to, and I trust Him. Amen? And I want to walk in His ways because I know when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? And praise, I'm thankful for that. So point number two there, I might have some more on verse six. You know, God's word is not a rule book to keep us out of heaven. Notice that they, uh, he also says in verse six, and moreover, he removed the places of the wooden images. So evidently in Asa's life, he had taken them all down when he became king. But over the next 40 years or so, he started letting them all come back. They started kind of popping up again. You know, and as believers, that could happen in our life. We start walking with the Lord and we, you know, we want to, we want to be void of compromise. And then maybe after we've been walking the Lord for a certain amount of time, we start letting some of that old stuff seep back into our life. Well, that's what had happened in Judah. And Jehoshaphat came along and cleaned out the stuff that he, his dad, uh, you know, put back into place. He removed the idols and fully restored the worship of the true and living God and him alone. Now, Jehoshaphat had strengthened the nation militarily and physically, but he knew that the military, but he knew that, he knew that, the, uh, that a great military was important, but a greater need was the strength of a nation spiritually. Point number three, by teaching the whole counsel of God, living a life that strikes fear in the heart of the enemy by teaching the whole armor of God. So also in the third year of his reign, he sent leaders, leaders Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. And he sent the Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zebediah, Ashel, Shimroth, Jonathan, and Adonijah, Tobijah, Tobinajah, and the Levites, and with them Elishama and Jehoram the priest. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them, and they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. So what is he doing? He is reestablishing the word of God as the priority, and he sends out these Levites whose job wasn't just to tend to the temple, but their, their calling was also to proclaim the truth of God's word. And he sent them to all the cities in Judah and had the word of God taught in every city, in every village, to every person. Boy, I would love to vote for a president like that. Can I get an amen to that? Can you imagine if we got back to teaching the whole counsel of God? Now, here's the good news. The good news is it's not just the Levites that can teach it today. It's all of us. By the way, I want to encourage you to do something. I don't know what your work environment's like. Pray about starting a Bible study in your workplace. Some of your head exploded and said that's never going to happen. But I want to tell you something. There's a big part of my testimony I shared this just recently. When I first worked for this company 35 years ago, I was in my early 20s, and, uh, and my office was filled with debauchery, and I was disgusted by it. There were people in my office, so we, were, we were making a lot of money, and, and they, were, they were going out to lunch and doing cocaine. People were taking, going to hotels and committing adultery. Uh, I mean, it was just really a place that was, you know, just vile. And I was disgusted by it. And I would ignore people. I wouldn't even talk to them. I just would do my work and leave and not get caught up in the nonsense. And then I was driving home from work one day and the Lord put it on my heart. You praying for them? No. They disgust me. I'm not praying for them. God put it on my heart to get a list of all 220 employees 
And I had a 72-mile commute from Lancaster, Palmdale, the Woodland Hills every day. And I started praying for 10 to 15 of them every day by name. And you know what happened when I started praying for them? My heart changed for them. And then God gave me opportunities to start sharing my faith with them. And then I eventually started a Bible study in the office. And before long, we had 40 to 50 people every Tuesday coming and eating lunch and studying the Bible. And then they started calling us the God Squad. And all these people started getting saved. But I was disgusted by them. And then I got the Holy Spirit head slap. Are you praying for them? Amen. And you know what? I would have never imagined prior to that having a Bible study at work. I mean, these people are debased. Well, guess what? We all are without Jesus. Amen? And so I just would encourage you, pray about it. I don't care if there's five people in your office. Pray about it. See what God will do. See if God will open the door for you to start up. Well, I've never taught the Bible before. Well, you know it better than the other people at work that don't know Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? You can open it up and read it and talk about it, but I encourage you to do that. So the point here is that by teaching, again, we saw the teaching of, by teaching the whole counsel of God, he sends them out with the word of God and instructs them to teach it to everyone in every village, in every place. And I believe that that's still the call that God has on our lives today. We're called to teach the word of God to everyone. Now, here's one of the reasons I love being on the radio because we God, because you guys give faithfully, I don't know if you know this, we're on five radio stations. One of them in Hawaii is 100,000 watts, and you can hear it on every single island. And God uses the word of God being brought forth to transform lives. Amen? And I get calls every week. They're always blown away that I answer the phone because I actually put my cell phone number on the radio program. So when they call and people are getting saved, lives are being changed. And because so, so my, my heart is, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, right? We want to start, by the way, if you won't cross the street to share your faith, you got no business going on a mission trip halfway around the world. Start with your mission field right where you live. And California is as fresh a mission field as there is on this planet. Can I get an amen to that? We need, to, we need to bring people from Ethiopia here to minister to these people, right? We need to bring people from India and Hindu countries to come talk to people here about Jesus. But the point is that Jehoshaphat understood that the Word of God needed to be taught to everyone. And Jehoshaphat raised up the, you know, the priests and the Levites and others and sent them out with the Word of God and, and to teach the Word of God to everyone. And you know what? That's what needs to happen in our nation as well. He taught the book of the law. He take take the word to the people. I love that. And make the word understandable. You know, take the word to the people and make it understandable. You know, there are churches, they're not churches, but they, they think they are. But you know, there are places where you go where they'll do the whole they'll do the whole sermon in Latin. Just stop it. It's not understandable. Can I get an amen to that? You want to teach the word simply. You know, I, I, I look at all the Greek and Hebrew and, and all these stuff that I study, but I don't get up here and say in the past Paris tense of the participle, the second action of the verb, the word is, you know, rah, 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 and I get up here and try to blah, throw up all over you how much I studied. I'll get up and say, that word means this, amen? Make it simple. Take the whole counsel of God as, as my dad used to say, quoting uh, a good friend of his, J. Vernon McGee, who I met many times as a kid. He had dinner at our house. The, anybody heard of the Bible bus and J. Vernon McGee? Okay. He said, keep the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach them. And what that means is you can take 
deep truths and teach them in a way that a 10-year-old can get it. And my heart is to teach deep truths in a simple way so that everybody can understand it. Amen? And that's what he was doing. He was taking the truth of God's word and he was bringing it to the people and he brought it to them in a way that they could understand. Point number four, the word of God strengthens us. The word of God strengthens us. Look what it says in verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdom of the lands that were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. When did the fear of the Lord come upon the nations that surrounded them when they did what? When they followed the Lord and when the whole counsel of God was being taught to their people. Amen? Guys, we can't follow the Lord if we don't know the Lord. And we can't know the Lord if we don't spend time in his presence. We don't spend time in prayer and time in his word and time in fellowship. And so when they were walking with the Lord, the nations around them were afraid because they were afraid of their God. It's a pretty powerful thing. Now look, our nation, people argue with me, they're wrong. We're founded as a Christian nation. And because we are founded as a Christian nation, do you know that a vast majority of all the major inventions in this world were all in this country that comprises like 3% of the world's population? Uh, you know, electricity, airplanes, uh, the telephone. I mean, just go down the list. Now, why did God bless? Because we honored God. Why is it we've never been in a war we lost? And if you don't count Vietnam, we, we win. Why? Because God is for us and has been for us. But you know what? We're not really that, there that much anymore, amen? But when we honor God and follow God, God blesses us. And the same is true for us. When we honor God and follow God, he blesses us. He's a faithful God. The word of God strengthens us. The Bible tells us that the demons tremble. You know, when we, when we read the Bible, the enemy hates it. And it's a sharp sword, an offensive weapon against the enemy. It is one of the tools that keeps us from sin. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. You know, why, you know what helps us hate our sin more and helps us to walk in obedience is to know what the word of God says. When we hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against him. It is the thing that makes us usable to God. It says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished with all good works. So as we walk in the word, we become infectious to the world around us and the word of God strengthens us. It strengthens us. That's why it's so important that we open the book and we read it. We need to learn the word. We do not, again, we need to know the word and live by it. In Hosea's day, the people were facing judgment for their sins because they had not been taught uh, what was right. It says in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they rejected knowledge. And I will also reject thee that thou shall not, uh, shall no priest to me, seeing that hast forgotten the law of God, I will have forgotten your children. So what he's saying is because they didn't know the word of God, they walked contrary to it. So what is, what is one of the enemy's biggest tools been in our country in the last 50 years? To remove the word of God from every place possible. When I was in school, kindergarten, we did a Christmas program and it was the three wise men and baby Jesus and, you know, the, you know, the shepherds and we sang songs about the Lord and it wasn't Rudolph the reindeer. 
Amen? You know, red-nosed reindeers, we were singing about snowmen, we were singing about the Savior of the world. And we've taken the Word of God out of the public square, we've removed, praise God, this is why I'm so glad we meet at Hillcrest Christian School, and our rent goes to promote a school that preaches Jesus in this campus every single day. Amen? And we need to pray for them. But the point is that the, the enemy wants to remove the word of God because the word of, knowing, not having the word of God removes the fear of God, the reverence for God, a need to be saved, and it opens us up to the temptation of the devil. Amen? And it keeps us from walking in his ways. As New Testament believers, the Bible tells us that we're all called to be priests in a sense that what do we do? We intercede with God on behalf of people, and we speak to people on behalf of God. And we're all called to do that. Amen? That's a gift we've been given. And some of the Philistines, again, they brought, look at verse 11, they brought uh, Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute, and the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. Tribute is voluntary submission. Again, if a nation wants to have peace, they must turn to the Lord. And Jehoshaphat's personal commitment to public godliness meant that God exalted his kingdom above the neighboring nations. I don't have time to read it, but it, it, go look at Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through 13. And it basically promises that if a people will surrender to God, that God will bless and protect them as a nation. And that's something that we need to be reminded of. Last point. Lord, help us to be men and women of valor. Look at verse 12. So go through this fairly quickly. Now notice what it says here. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. So when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. And just Jehoshaphat becomes more powerful because he was fully surrendered to the Lord and was teaching his word. Total contrast to Asa, who was judged by God, because after 35 years of comfort, didn't turn to the Lord when the enemy came, he turned to the world. Jehoshaphat here, at least up to this point, is being faithful to God. He proclaimed the truth of God's word. And again, Asa was at war uh, and Jehoshaphat was at peace. Then it says in verse 13, it says, He had property in the cities of Judah and men of war, mighty men of valor, we're in Jerusalem. So Jehoshaphat is a, is a great ruler in this time of peace, but Jehoshaphat kept army for protection. Uh, note the many men of valor who served him. When we read it all together here, let's just go ahead and read those verses below it. It says there, these are the numbers according to their fathers, verse 14, of Judah, the captains of thousands, Adna, the captain with him 300,000 mighty men of valor. And next to him was Johanan, the captain, and with him 280,000. And next to him was Amasiah, the son of Zikri. And I love this. I underline these next few words, who willingly offered himself to the Lord. I love that picture, who willingly offered himself to the Lord. Amos, Amos, Amasiah is a man of whom we don't know anything else about him but these words. But can there be better words said about anybody than that he willingly offered himself to the Lord? He didn't come to serve God out of obligation. He came to serve God out of love for the Lord. He willingly offered himself to the Lord. You know, there's a word for this. Here's what it is. Calling. When someone's been called by God, serving God is a get-to. They willingly serve the Lord. 
And when someone's called by God, God sustains you. God gives you joy in doing what he calls you to do. It's such a blessing. You can't imagine not doing it. Amen? Give you a few examples. Again, there's a word for it. It's calling. I I don't have to call Pastor Tim and make sure the worship team's going to show up. I never have to do that. You know why? Because he's called. And what he's doing, everybody in the worship team, I guarantee if we asked them all, getting to lead worship is a blessing. It's a get to, not a have to. It's a joy. Amen? I don't have to call, uh, you know, our chairman, Johnny, to come make sure the chairs are set up. I don't have to ask, make sure Danielo's here or the other guys, Anthony back there with the sound or, or Dana and Elise and those who, who, who are teaching the women to make sure they're ready or Brett and Anthony for overcomers or Kirsten with the children or Chris with the young adult. Guys, when we're serving the Lord, it's a joy to serve him. It's like, this is why I live and move and breathe is to know him and to make him known. It's such a get to, not a have to. Amen? I was sharing with my son just recently that there's nothing better than knowing that you're where you're supposed to be doing exactly what God has called you to do. And I can tell you, I'm, I am so blessed because I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what God has called me to do. And that's a joyful thing. Amen? Amen. And if you don't know that, pray. Ask God to show you again. And I want to say this too, though. He was willing to offer himself to the Lord. That shouldn't only be at church. You should be offering yourself to the Lord at work. You should be the best worker in the building. Amen? You should be, the, you should be doing your job as unto the Lord. And on, you know what? You should be that person at home. You should be the spiritual leader in your home, men. You should be those who love and serve and honor and lay down your life for your wife and your children, provide for your family. Guys, we shouldn't just be willing to serve the Lord at church on Sunday and Thursday. We should be willing to serve the Lord when we're walking through our neighborhood. Amen? When we're in the grocery store, wherever we go, we should be willing to serve the Lord. We're ambassadors for the Lord everywhere we go and in everything we do. We're called to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. Last three verses. And then it says, and with him, 200,000 mighty men of valor. Of Benjamin, Elida, a mighty man of valor. And with him, 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him was Jehoshaphat. And with him, 180,000 prepared for war. These serve the king besides those the king put in fortified cities. When you add all these men up, there's 1,160,000 mighty men of valor. Now, I want to say the mighty men of the valor at the end of that makes it way better. Because you could have an army of 1,160,000 peewee Hermans. Amen. You could, have 100, you could have a bunch of guys who are afraid of their own shadow and scared to death and going to run in the other direction when the enemy shows up. And we see that even in scripture where certain armies just run away as soon as it gets tough. They just, they're scared half to death. You know, well, all the, the entire army of Israel, before David showed up to fight Goliath, they were all shaking and they're, you know, and they're scared half to death. But you know what a man of valor is? I love the description in Hebrew. It's a man of strength, might, ability, efficiency, and force. Those are the kind of men we want fighting battles. Amen. And those are the kind of men and women we need to be in the spiritual battle that we're, we're not scared half to death all the time. And we're not walking around trembling and fearful. And we're not, you know, we just, well, the devil, you know, a pastor, I need you to, uh, I, I need to be deliverance from the demon of chocolate. No, you don't. <laughs> what we need is to stand in the Lord and the power of his might. Amen. Yeah. 
We serve, we serve a mighty, gracious, awesome, and all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God. And again, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The devil can't make you do anything. Flip Wilson, Wilson was lying. Amen? Only old people laughed at that joke, okay? Amen. Devil made me do it. No, he can't do that to you, okay? But the point I'm making is that there's a, this power and might that we have in the Lord, and the battle belongs to the Lord. And guys, I've read the end of the book, and God wins. Amen? And so we don't have to walk in fear. We can walk in strength and in power. And these men of, Jehosh- of, of Jehoshaphat's army were men of valor, men of strength and might and efficiency and ability and force. Again, you could have a million-man army where half of them run away when it gets tough or go hide. And as believers, we've all done it at some point, myself included. We've had an opportunity to share our faith and we ran away and hid. Anybody besides me, you had an opportunity, the Holy Spirit was giving you the head slap, say something, and you didn't do it. And our prayer needs to be, Lord, give me the strength and the power of your might to stand up for you, to do it in a kind, a loving, and a gracious way, to remember that the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And help us, Lord, again, to be men and women of valor Again, honoring and glorifying your name. So in closing, living a life that strikes fear in the heart of the enemy. Again, by walking in obedience to the word of God, not the ways of the world. By faithfully seeking and serving the Lord. By teaching the whole counsel of God. Again, knowing that the word of God strengthens us. And then Lord, help us to be men and women of valor. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who do not walk in fear, but Lord, that we live in such a way that the enemy is afraid of us. Lord, because we stand with you, because you're a gracious God. Help us to be men and women of valor, men of strength and power in your name. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to again be like lions against a lost and a dying world. Lord, give us the strength. We know it has nothing to do with us. Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Help us to walk in your spirit that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, amen.